the miracles of Jesus. Um, this is a quote from uh, Jesus reported in John chapter 14. He says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So trust me because of my character, or if you're not prepared to do that, at least trust me because of the evidence of the signs, the wonders, I've translated it here as miracles, um, that I'm working. Um, it's one of those good verses uh, to pull out of the bag when anybody tells you that uh, religious belief is by definition blind faith, because Jesus himself advocated believing on the basis of evidence. It might be surprising to learn that there is something of a scholarly consensus concerning the miracles of Jesus. I've just got a few quotes here from uh, a range of rather liberal um, New Testament scholars. Uh, Anthony Harvey says, there are certain facts about Jesus which by any normal criterion of historical evidence it would be altogether unreasonable to doubt. Such facts are that Jesus carried out cures of various illnesses, particularly demon possession, and that these were widely regarded as miraculous. And you can see he's been quite careful in his wording there. He's not saying they were miraculous, but he's saying that he did cure people, and these cures were regarded as miraculous. Jochem Jeremiah says that even when strict critical standards have been applied to the miracle stories in the New Testament, a demonstrably historical nucleus remains. The Jesus Seminar, Marcus Borg, uh, he says that on historical grounds it's virtually indisputable that Jesus was a healer and exorcist. And fellow Jesus Seminar me member John Dominic Crossan says something very interesting when he says that some people might assume that the miracles come into the tradition about Jesus later as a creative, uh, i.e. lying, uh, made up confirmation rather than as original data. However, says uh, Crossan, such an assumption would be completely wrong. The better explanation is just the opposite. Miracles were, at a very early stage, being washed out of the tradition and when retained were being very carefully interpreted. Um, for example, you could point out that Matthew excludes or shortens Mark's miracle stories, and that John, the last gospel, doesn't mention any exorcisms. I hold in summary, this is Crossan again, that Jesus as a miracle worker was a very problematic and controversial phenomena, not only for his enemies, but also even for his friends. This uh, scholarly consensus has been arrived at because when you take the standard kind of uh, tools by which scholars will uh, try and make judgments over what is historically plausible, um, particularly three that I'll concentrate on today, the, the rule of multiple attestation, of embarrassment, and of enemy attestation, even if you didn't think that the, the gospel accounts were generally reliable reports, and we've spent time in other weeks looking at uh, some reasons to believe that they are generally reliable support, uh, reports, but even if you didn't believe that, you might still think that after applying these kind of criteria, that those reports did contain nuggets of uh, truthful information. 
And so even scholars who doubt that the the Gospels are generally reliable, uh, by applying these kind of criteria, are forced to admit that there is something uh, reliably reported about Jesus' miracle uh, working uh, within those Gospels. Although, as you see, it, it's a matter of interpretation exactly how you explain them. Let's look at multiple attestation first. So it's a fairly obvious rule of history that basically says the more witnesses you have, the better. As Craig Blomberg puts it, that which appears in more than one gospel or more than one gospel source. Uh, if you were here last week, we were looking at the five different gospel sources. Or more than one form of, of saying stands a better chance of being authentic. The criteria of embarrassment we'll look at second, i.e. people don't tend to tell stories against themselves that work against them. As Craig Evans says, the criterion of embarrassment refers to sayings or deeds that aren't easily explained as inauthentic creations of the early church, just sort of making stuff up to bolster their case, simply because there are aspects of them that would have been potentially embarrassing to that case. And finally, the criteria of enemy attestation, that is where you can get information from sources who are opposed to the gospel writer's perspective, but which nevertheless agrees with some element of the gospel writer's viewpoint, and that's generally called enemy attestation. <coughs> Jesus' miracles have been called an illuminating and exceedingly well-attested category of Jesus' deeds, a category of his deeds that I would suggest simultaneously express his self-understanding and provide independent validation of that self-understanding. That is, I would argue that Jesus' miracles really sharpen the dilemma posed by Jesus' claims in the context of his character. And this is an argument that I've looked at uh, in uh, other contexts and other courses, and you can find on my podcast channel called The Lunatic Liar Lord Argument. And it's usually simply framed in terms of, uh, we've got good reason to think Jesus claimed uh, equality with Yahweh, he claimed divinity. Given that he claimed divinity, that claim was either true or false. If it was false, then he either believed it himself or he didn't. If he believed it and he was wrong about it, well then the guy is a lunatic uh, because he thinks he's God when he's a mere man. If he didn't believe it uh, when he proclaimed it, well then he's uh, a lying son of a so-and-so. Um, to the extent which you think those are implausible characterizations of Jesus given everything else we know about his character from the historical sources, so it becomes more plausible to take the other horn of the trilemma, as uh, Professor John Duncan put it. Uh, in the 18th, 19th century, John Duncan said, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. It's an argument that was made uh, more famous uh, later by C.S. Lewis, of course. Uh, you may have seen this response from Richard Dawkins in the, uh, one interview. He said, well, that's a rubbish argument because Jesus could simply be sincerely and honestly mistaken about who he was. There's sort of another option here you haven't thought about. I like uh, Nicky Gumbel's reply. The irony of the God delusion is that Dawkins says all Christians are deluded because they believe there is a God, but Jesus wasn't deluded even though he thought he was God. Um, as Mike King also puts it, basically... That, that trilemma structure 
does seem to hold. Anyone who was honestly mistaken about being God, um, thinking they were God, would inevitably be considered um, out of, so out of touch with reality that they're insane. Um, but why go to the lengths of making such a patently sort of bad response to the argument? Well, clearly because a rudimentary flick, as he says, through all the other data we have about Jesus' life and character demonstrates both of the, the, the lunatic and the, the liar options to be very implausible in and of themselves. But actually, particularly some miracles, this stands out more than others. If you look at certain of Jesus' miracles in the light of the Old Testament background, uh, from Psalms, from Exodus, from Kings, from Job, you can see that his miracle of calming the storm, for example, which is evidenced by early multiple and eyewitness and embarrassing testimony, feeding of the 5,000 from very little, which is evidenced by early multiple sources, including eyewitnesses, and the criteria of eyewitness detail, which we won't go into, and his uh, miracle of walking on the water, which is evidenced by early multiple sources, including eyewitnesses, are all best understood as kind of enacted claims to divinity against the Jewish background of the Old Testament and what things that it says about God. But they're, so they're kind of claims to divinity on a par with him sort of verbally claiming divinity, but they're claims that at one and the same time, because they're miraculous, if they're genuine occurrences, would seem to validate those claims as well. So they're an independent source of validation for the argument from the, from the trilemma. Let me just take you through the episode of Jesus and John the Baptist, because I think this is particularly interesting here. This is uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting of John the Baptist. The early Q tradition reports that when John the Baptist was languishing in Herod's jail, suffering from very embarrassing doubts about Jesus, he sent messengers asking, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Well, Jesus replies, uh, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So there's a big element of Jesus pointing to the evidence of his miracles in reply to John's question. But this response echoes the messianic prophecies of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 35, for example. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. In other words, Jesus' reply to John is basically this argument. Premise one, if someone does X kinds of deeds, then they really are the Messiah, as prophesied in the Old Testament. Premise two, I do X kind of deeds. Conclusion, therefore I am the Messiah. Well, John, of course, had proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. And in Matthew, and also recorded in Luke, John, uh, Jesus had identified John as the messenger of the Messiah, prophesied by Malachi 3.1. I'll send my messenger to prepare a way before me. Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord God Almighty. Now this is a verse that both Matthew and, and Luke's Gospels have applying to uh, and Isaiah uh, 43, apply to John. John is this prophesied messenger, uh, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. 
So when you put these Old Testament references together that sort of Jesus and, and John are enmeshed with, you end up extending that argument that Jesus gave to John with this implication. Um, one, Jesus really is the Messiah, as he just argued. But two, the Messiah is God. He will prepare the way before me. Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Prepare the way for the Lord. Well, it follows from one and two that, of course, therefore Jesus is God. That's what Jesus was arguing, and he was pointing to the miracles as part of that argument. I've got a graph here. We won't be able to take it all in, I'm sure, but it basically represents all of the miracles of Jesus that appear in more than one gospel. Uh, and particularly interesting in, in those terms, of course, is where you have them appearing both in the synoptics and the non-synoptic John, or if you bury down and you see that they're appearing in the different gospel source strands that we talked about last week. Um, and it's also interesting to draw your attention to the fact that not only is every kind of category of miracle, if you talk about nature miracles, like spilling the waters, or healing miracles, or exorcism miracles... Each of those categories is um, attested by multiple early and independent sources. But even specific miracles are uh, attested by multiple early and independent sources when you look through uh, the tabulation of a list like this. Uh, Paul Barnett summarizes it quite well. He says, Mark reports no fewer than 18 miracles, found only in the source common to Matthew and Luke. That's Q, are two miracles. Matthew's special source M has three. Luke's special source L has seven. And John has six. And John is often thought to be drawing upon a signed source for those miracles in John's Gospel, which predates it. So in other words, five independent sources report about 40 miracles of Jesus um, in terms of enemy attestation uh, Alan Richardson said things like it can't be disputed on historical grounds that all the people who came into contact with Jesus during his ministry in Galilee believed that he worked miracles Mark and Q include the accusation from Jesus' opponents that the reason he was able to exercise people of their demons was because he was in league with the devil. Not only is it doubly attested, but that's embarrassing you know, to say, you know, Jesus, yes, he, he had that power, but because he's in league with the devil. As N.T. Wright says, the church didn't invent the embarrassing charge that Jesus was in league with the devil, but charges like that aren't advanced unless you need to explain something Pretty remarkable. You can even then look outside the Bible. Uh, Josephus, the early Jewish historian in antiquities, has about this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, who was a doer of startling deeds. And it's an interesting sort of phraseology in Josephus, because he doesn't sort of use the, the usual word, um, sign, or, or we, we would translate as miracle and so on. He has this sort of ambiguous sort of terminology of sort of there was something odd going on, but I'm not really going to sort of nail my colours to the masters to quite what it was. But recognising from that independent source that Jesus did 
startling deeds. The Babylonian Talmud has on the eve of Passover, they, they hang Yeshua. And an announcer went out in front of him for 40 days saying he's going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and enticed and led Israel astray. So it's on the sort of uh, traditional uh, charge sheet, according to the Talmud, that he practiced sorcery. Again, how do you take that in the ancient world? And outside Jewish sources, in about 180 AD, the pagan philosopher Celsus wrote that it was by magic that Jesus was able to do the miracles which he appears to have done. So on all three of those uh, standard historical criteria, uh, enemy, attestation, embarrassing, uh, uh, reportage, uh, multiple uh, independent sources, um, that if you were following some of the earlier weeks about when some of those gospel sources came from, even predating uh, the gospels and the New Testament letters, are very early uh, reports as well. Um, all of the historical evidence does seem to point to Jesus doing things in various categories um, that were understood by contemporaries to be miraculous. Uh, things that went beyond uh, the kind of thing that well, I don't think it's, it's plausible for us to just sort of say, oh, well, he was sort of working, you know, magic tricks or so on. You know, I know Paul Daniels can do a lot. Uh, and so on, and it's actually said, oh, I could explain all the miracles of, of Jesus in, in terms of, of magic tricks, uh, but I don't quite buy that. And if you, do, if you are buying that, what you're really buying back into is the idea that Jesus was a fraud, because he appealed to these things as part of the justification of his claims to be uh, identifiable with the God of the Jews. Um, now, was he defrauding people? in order to try and get them to believe this, well then, you're back to the liar horn of the lunatic liar lord argument. So when you tie Jesus' miracles in with the way that it ties into that lunatic liar argument, I think you see how it bears it out and adds additional independent verification uh, for the idea that he really is lord. <laughs>